0: Chapter Fifteen of Venus Boy by Lee Sutton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen: A City in the Trees. Except for faint animal sounds in the distance, there was silence in the Diamond Wood Grove. More marver than any other person had ever seen surrounded Johnny. Most of them were dark muzzled and very old. From Old Jeb's hunting tales. Johnny knew that as a Marva grows older the fur about its muzzle darkens. A jewel bear with a black muzzle was a rare thing. This was no ordinary group of Marva, but a gathering of elders. They seemed neither friendly nor unfriendly. They seemed to be waiting patiently for Johnny to do something. Hello. Johnny broke the silence, greeting them in their own clicking language i'm very glad to see you once started johnny had so much to say the words fairly rushed from him your leopards are scared of us maybe you can tell me how to get some people quick Before it knew we wouldn't hurt it, this arrow bird wounded my friend, and he's very sick, and Baba's got caught again, and some bad men are trying to get him. If you could help us get back to the colony, oh, I'd thank you. Baba's a Marva, you know. Just like you, and he's my best friend. We tried to find you, but the outlaws captured me, and Baba went home because I'm his friend-pet brother, and he thought I'd be there. Rick will die if you—' The torrent of words was cut short by a marva with a coal-black muzzle. He stood up and raised both furry blue paws for silence. It is well reported that the little killer can speak our language, he clicked, with a sound very like a human chuckle. You speak well, he clicked to Johnny, but you speak too much at once. A ripple of amusement passed over the faces of the jewel-bears. Then they became stern once more. "'You must try to tell a little at a time,' the old Marva continued. "'But first let me answer one of your questions, for I think you are full of questions. The Redford Killer has been sent to the healers. He will soon be treated. We heard of you and of the wound from our friend-pets. You need not worry, little killer. Our healers have had many wounds to deal with since your kind has been in the Green Lands." "'You mean you will fix up my friend?' Johnny asked. You have doctors?" "'Yes, little killer,' the black-muzzled one answered. "'But he won't understand,' Johnny said. "'He wouldn't let any of you touch him, not unless I talk to him.' Follow the leopard then, he will take you to the healers, then return here." The black-muzzled Marva waved his paw, and the leopard rose and trotted off. Johnny ran beside him. In another clearing Johnny paused in amazement. It was filled with many animals. He saw several rhinosaurs with great gaping ato-tube wounds. A leopard with a cut on its shoulder lay whimpering before a marva who was squeezing the juice of some berries upon the cut. Fascinated, Johnny watched as the marva sewed up the cut, a fine piece of marva claw for his needle. The berries' juice must have killed the pain, for the leopard stopped whimpering and lay very still. Then Johnny saw Rick. He was lying on his back, but his eyes were open. The two leopards were right beside him, their heavy paws holding him down. "'Rick!' Johnny called, running up to him. "'Get away from here!' Rick yelled. "'There's a horned snake right beside me. He'll kill us.' "'No!' Johnny answered. "'If he'd wanted to he could have done it long ago. Rick, we're safe. The leopards brought you here to get your wound fixed up.' Then he clicked to the leopards. "'Let him go. He won't run away.' He turned back to Rick. "'I just told the leopards you won't run away,' he explained. Just watch the Marva over there." Unsteadily Rick got to his feet. He quickly sat down again, overcome by weakness and amazement. He had caught sight of the Marva healers at work. One was sewing up a rhinosaur, another was splinting up the leg of an antelope. Rick shook his head. "'I'm dreaming,' he said. "'I I must be.' "'Isn't it wonderful?' Johnny said they're going to fix your wound too the leopard beside him growled in the way johnny knew meant come i gotta go now Goodbye and don't worry let them do what they want to johnny and the leopard made their way among the sick animals johnny let out a cry of pleasure there was his friend the leopardess the ato burn was not a bad one and it had already been treated she rose when she saw him Though the big male leopard growled his disapproval, Johnny ran over and patted her and her cubs before he went on. Is she a friend of yours? Johnny was startled by the sudden appearance of the black-muzzled Marva who had spoken to him earlier. Yes, old one, Johnny answered respectfully. Come, the Marva addressed the leopardess. The two leopards, the cubs, Johnny and the Marva, walked off together. Soon Johnny was in the circle of Marva again. This time he was over his surprise and he tried to tell his story as clearly as he could. He was beginning to get worried about the time that was passing and looked at Rick's watch again and again. There was always the chance that the outlaws would try to get Baba even though they no longer had Johnny to give in return. But he told his story as best he could. In spite of his worry he had to explain all about men on Venus. He even had to tell where men came from, since the jewel-bears had never seen stars or planets in their sky. He told about overcrowding Earth and his father's desire to make a colony. He told about the hunters and trader Harkness. He told about his trip into the jungle and how the outlaws had captured him, and finally of his escape with Rick into the jungle. The group of Marvas listened carefully. Sometimes they nodded their heads in approval of what he had done, and sometimes they seemed puzzled. But they seemed more friendly when he had finished. When at last he came to a halt, the old Marva, who was acting as spokesman for the group, arose. You say this young Marva friend of yours is named Baba? The old one used the word in the clicking language for Baba's name. Yes?" We have heard of him. The black-muzzled Marva clicked, though he was not of our grove. His mother and brother were killed. We have wondered why he was not killed, too, since your people feel we are your enemies. Our observer on Council Rock has watched your people often and has seen little we can understand. Tell us why Baba was not killed at first. I already explained," Johnny said. His teeth and claws are black. Now they are blue, and of course he's worth a lot of money. What is this money? The black-muzzled one asked. Johnny was surprised. The word Baba used for money must not be a real Marva word. If only Baba was here to explain. Johnny tried the best he could to explain how money works. The Marva shook its head in wonder at the strange ways of men. But why do you want our claws and teeth? the Marva asked. To make rings and plastic. But they understood neither the word ring nor the word plastic. Johnny had to explain that plastic was the material that head globes were made from. He explained also that rings and jewelry were used for decoration. "'And that is why we are killed on sight?' asked the Marva. "'Yes, old one. It made Johnny sad for himself, for Marva, and for his people, to have to admit this.' His answer caused a stir among the Marva. "'I have one more question,' the old Marva said. "'Why did you come into the jungle with the Marva, Baba?' He would have died or been killed otherwise, and he was my brother, or like my brother. It was like the song he sang. You help your friends, and your friends help you. It is the law, and will be the law as the trees stand. Between friend and friend there is no parting, more than the fingers of a hand." "'We know the song,' the Marva said gently. "'But didn't you think these—' the Marva gestured at the leopards might kill you?" Yes, Johnny said, but I had to take the chance. They asked many more questions about men and their ways. Many were hard for Johnny to answer or even to understand, but he tried very hard to be as clear and truthful as possible. Finally they seemed satisfied, and there was again silence in the diamond-wood grove. With a nod to Johnny the black-muzzled Marva led the rest of the jeweled bears away, and left Johnny and his animal friends alone. A short distance away the Marva again formed a circle and clicked together quietly. Then they called over his friend the leopardess, the red monkey, and the arrow bird. They appeared to be asking them questions. Johnny left to himself, wondered what was happening. It was all very strange. Rick's wristwatch said too much time had passed already. The black-muzzled Marva returned to Johnny. Come with me, he clicked, and walked toward one of the great trees. One of the younger jewel bears waited at the foot of the tree. Grasp him by the shoulders, the black-muzzled Marva directed Johnny, and hold tight. Johnny found he could easily ride on his back. The Marva started up the tree at a breathtaking speed. The full-grown Marva climbed three times as fast as Baba could without anything on his back. Down below them the black-muzzled Marva followed with the slow dignity of age. Up and up they went, the full two hundred feet toward the sky. Johnny looked down at the sick animals and the healers, they looked very small now. Finally Johnny and the Marva reached the branches. As they came up to the first huge branch it appeared to move slowly away from the trunk of the tree to reveal a large opening. The tip of the branch was fastened to a branch above. Two huge snakes the color of the branch were coiled about it. These snakes had pulled the branch from the opening so that the Marva and Johnny could enter. Johnny could see that the branch had been hollowed out until it was fairly light. Once inside Johnny's eyes were dazzled by light. The young Marva started back down the tree. In a few moments the black-muzzled Marva was before Johnny again. He made a little bow. Man-child, he clicked. Welcome to the tree of Keetak, leader of the council of this grove. May you have long life. Thank you. It was the only thing Johnny could think of to say. Before him was a beautiful room. There were finely woven grass mats upon the floor, and in places about the room piles of mats of soft blue and delicate pinks made places to sit. The room was flooded with light that came from directly over their heads. The walls were made of the living wood of the tree carved with many scenes of Venus and colored to make beautiful designs. Johnny looked up to see where the light came from. He gasped. Above them there was a great cluster of Marva teeth and claws glowing with light. When Keetak, the leader of the council, moved forward the light floated along the ceiling following him. Finally Johnny realized what the light was. It was a cluster of the large Venus fireflies, each clasped a Marva claw in its tiny feet. As the insects glowed the claw multiplied the light. In the middle of the ceiling was a hive where the fireflies lived. Johnny watched with wonder as the flies went back and forth from hive to light. Keetak noticed Johnny's interest. As one becomes tired, he said, another takes his place. We give them food and they give us light. Is it not a good system? Suddenly Johnny understood and the rhinosaurs protect you from the sea beasts. And we help them when they are sick or hurt. We help take care of their marsh berries and see that they have food. All living things are our friends but the killers of the sea." "'Gee!' said Johnny. It's just perfect." The little bear appeared to laugh. (laughs) "'Hardly,' he clicked. We have our quarrels too, and many of our friends sometimes forget. That's right," Johnny said. The monkey sure didn't trust those leopards until after we got here. It is hard for many of them," Kitak went on. I often wonder what the rhinosaurs will do when there is nothing left to fight. We are already beginning to make friends with the killers of the sea. Not long ago the arrow birds were killers. And it was only in the lifetime of my great-grandfather's great-great-grandfather's father that we made friends with the river-snakes, so that they, too, do as we advise them to do. "'You mean obey you?' Johnny asked. "'In a way,' Keetak answered. "'Most of the animals obey us.' "'But they don't obey your little ones,' Johnny was excited. "'It's only when your blue teeth came in and your voice gets deep that other animals will obey you. Isn't that right?' "'Yes,' said Ketak. "'We say a deep voice is a sign of the coming of wisdom.' "'Then that's why the arrow birds obeyed Baba and me.' "'Yes,' Ketak nodded. "'Now would you like to see the remainder of our tree?' "'Please,' Johnny answered politely. "'It's a lot like the caves in New Plymouth Rock.' "'Indeed so,' said the Marva leader. Those caves served as a yearly meeting place for the council of all the groves. No one tree was large enough for all of us to live in while we talked together. Before your people came to the Greenlands, we had happy times there each year. Now we use the rock only for watching you. I'm sorry, Johnny said. Come now, Kitak clicked. I will show you the tree." Johnny would have been terribly excited by the suggestion if it hadn't been for his fear that they were taking too much time. The whole upper part of the tree was honeycombed with rooms. Each level was connected by a winding passage, as in the caverns of New Plymouth Rock. Each was lit in the same way. It was not Ketak's tree alone. Many Marva families lived there together. As they entered each level a Marva would come forward and welcome Johnny. He was fascinated by the little ones, who grinned at him just as Baba did. The Marva cubs always came in twos. Peeking around from the back of the mothers were always two pairs of bright blue eyes. But one family was different. Johnny and Kitak entered that level to the sound of growling and tumbling and scratching. In the middle of the room a small bear bounced hard on the floor and up to the ceiling where it clung like a fly. Below it a coal-black leopard cub growled in a way Johnny understood. It was a pleading growl, saying, Come. As soon as the baby bear hanging on the ceiling saw Johnny and Ketak, he dropped to the floor and stood with his arm around the black leopard cub. A mother, Marva, came rushing from another room. I'm sorry my cubs were so rude, she clicked, but you know how much mischief one of ours and a friend-pet-brother can get into. Of course, Keetak clicked. This is the friend-pet-brother of one of ours, so he will understand. Oh, yes, Johnny said. Then he looked over at the two cubs. The little Marva was still very small and had black claws. He shows off just like Bobby used to. Johnny exclaimed. Johnny remembered the trouble his mother had had with Baba's game of walking on the ceiling. With that they went on, but Johnny touched Kikak on the shoulder. Though the bear was old he came no more than to Johnny's shoulder. The Leopard Cub. Was that Marva Cub's friend pet brother just as Baba is mine? Johnny asked. For the first time the Marva seemed to smile, opening his mouth wide as Baba did when he grinned. "'We would say you were his friend-pet brother,' the black-muzzled one clicked. "'Perhaps it is better to say you are friend-brothers. It is not strange. Many of us have had companions of another race.' "'But why is this?' Johnny asked eagerly. "'You have seen that our cubs always come in pairs. The pair is almost one until they are grown," Kitak explained. If only one cub is born or one of a pair dies, we give the lone cub a friend pet, a cub of another race to grow up with him. They become brothers, just as you and Baba did. Without this the lone cub would die. Cubs need the love of a brother as much as they need food. It is sometimes a very good thing, for in this way our friends of the plains and the groves are knitted to us with ties of very deep love." Now I understand why Baba would never leave me, Johnny said. And then he went on earnestly. And you should understand why I've got to get back to Baba in the colony. There may still be some way I can save him, but I don't have much more time. I can make no promise yet to let you go. Ketak said. Still there may be a way we can save your friend-brother and do something more besides. He would say no more. Soon they were back in Ketak's rooms. You will wait here, Ketak said. Johnny seated himself on one of the piles of mats and waited. He didn't quite understand what was going on, but he wished Ketak would hurry. He looked at Rick's watch, it had been twelve hours since he had spoken to his father on Ed's radio telephone. He had only an earth day and a half to get to the settlement if he were to keep Baba out of Ed's hands. A few minutes later Ketak re-entered the room, surrounded by some of the furry bears who lived in his tree. "'My friend,' he clicked, "'I have a gift from the people of my tree to your people those whom you say are making a colony. It is a gift of friendship and a gift of peace. If the Council of the Grove decides to let you go back, I hope you can use these to pay for the life of your friend and your brother Baba." In his hand the Marva held a small package wrapped with woven rushes. Thank you, Johnny said, and took the package. You may unwrap it. Johnny folded back the stiff material and gasped. In his hand blowed a pile of marva claws, hundreds of them. End of chapter 15